Okay, well, while the, um, the blue buckets do their rounds, you might be, like to turn to Psalm 122. If you have a Bible with you, of course, you can turn to Psalm 122. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can read the scripture uh, verses that, that will come up on the screen uh, behind me, so you can follow uh, there. It's just great to be together, and, and like Tom just prayed, really, to look forward to what God wants to do as we look at his word. Um, if you're here for the first time, or you're, you're relatively new amongst us, uh, it may not have been made explicitly clear beforehand that we love being all together, all, all ages, um, all people, all of us, um, spending the whole time uh, together. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to look at the word. Uh, the rest of the meeting will take us through to about 11 o'clock, at which point, please do stick around and grab a tea or a coffee out in that cafe area. Uh, provides us an opportunity, hopefully, to, to get to know a few people. And, um, and if, you need to, if you've got sort of little ones with you and they get uh, a little bit restless, please don't worry at all. We're, we're used to a bit of background hubbub, a bit of fidgeting. We all need to do it some, sometimes. Um, if, the, if the disturbance grows, and again, feel free to, to get up from your seat, to go out to the cafe area, to settle down yourself or your child, and then come back through. We don't want to be too, um, too formal whilst we, we do want to prioritise looking at God's Word together. So that's what we'll do now with Psalm 122, uh, which I'll read. I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord, according to the statute given to Israel. There the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May, they, may there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. So this is our third step, our third psalm on this journey that we've been undertaking together to go through the the Songs of Ascents, a collection of psalms uh, towards the end of that rather substantial book in the Bible. So we started off a couple of weeks ago uh, looking at Psalm 120, the first song in the collection, and um, the, the first step that the pilgrims were taking. The pilgrims are people who are going on a journey. Um, their faith in God is leading them on a journey. They're, they're heading up to Jerusalem, like God said, uh, to go and celebrate. We looked at Psalm 120 and we saw the focus there was, was on the world and how bleak and difficult that sometimes makes life. And so their very first song was calling out to the Lord in their distress. And so we spent a bit of time looking at that and, and considering our first step on the way is, is one of repentance. We look at the world and we see what it's like. Sometimes that actually just helps us to see what we're like. And we realize, no, I need to come to God. I need to turn away from all of that. And I need to come to him. That was the first step. Uh, and then Bless and last week took us on the second step with Psalm 121, the, the second most read or second most popular psalm after Psalm 23, I lift my eyes to the hills. Um, and on that second psalm, in that second psalm, we focused on, or it focuses on, God. It focuses on the one who is with us on the journey, every step. And we considered, well, what's our step to take then? As we walk with God, what does that actually mean? It means, it means trusting him. Uh, so it means repenting, it means trusting him. 
with every step in life. There are twists and turns, there are ups and downs, um, but we're walking with God. And walking with God means in every situation, in every high and every low, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust that he's faithful. I'm going to trust that he's not going to let my foot slip. I'm going to trust him that he's going to see me all the way through uh, to a glorious destination. And therefore, when we come to Psalm 122, it kind of rounds off this first little group of three. Uh, the focus is now uh, on Jerusalem. The focus is on their destination, where they are headed together. And we're seeing in this psalm that walking with God is all about worship. In the future, when we get there, when we get to glory... Uh, but in the present as well, right now. And there are a few things that uh, present themselves in this psalm. It's actually written by David, and there are a number of things that seem to be fueling his excitement, fueling his joy, fueling his worship. And, you know, if you're going to uh, make a big kind of campfire. You're going to need to get some fuel, you need to make sure there's some air, you need to light the match, and, uh, and then it gets going, you might add some more fuel. Um, and he's got a lot of fuel on his fire, bringing this great sense of zeal and rejoicing and celebration. And I'm going to go through what I think are a couple of those items, if you like, a few of those reasons why he was so excited. What was catching him up? with this um, attitude and desire to, to worship God. First one is David is, is caught up with uh, the purposes of God. The purposes of God. We might think or ask ourselves, well, why go on this journey? Why go up to Jerusalem? For us in walking with God, well, why are we walking with God? What's the ultimate purpose behind it? And we might consider the answer to be to have a good time. You know, if you go on a journey and you're going on a holiday or you're, you're making a special trip, uh, with, you might, that might be very much at the forefront of your mind. Well, looking forward to having a great time. Clearly, David, when in writing this song, was looking forward to having a great time. I rejoiced with those who said to me in verse 1, let us go to the house of the Lord. They've not even gone yet. Someone's just come up with the idea. They're not even at Jerusalem yet, but the mere mention of the idea, uh, yes, he's excited at the prospect of going on this journey. Uh, so, what well, is that the ultimate purpose? Well, clearly there's genuine joy, but having a good time is not the ultimate focus. That might sound a bit strange, but we'll come back to it in a bit. The ultimate purpose. Why go on this journey? Why, why walk with God in this life? Well, other pilgrims may have just thought, well, because we have to. Um, verse 4, well, there, there's a statute that's been given to Israel. And it's very clear. Uh, we can uh, refresh our memories by looking at Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, they may have thought to themselves. Um, where they were instructed, three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. 
and so on. So, so why? Why are we going on this journey for us? Why are we wanting to walk with God? Well, that's what we've been told to do. It's, it's the law. It's, it's God's instruction. And, and for some, we can be living in the shadows, really, if we rest on either of those two reasons being the reason to walk with God. Because if we rest on the first one, oh, we're going to have a great time. Yeah, everyone, it's all about having a great time. Then when we're not having a great time, we'll sack it off. God's not come through to me. He's not come through for me. He's not really delivering what I thought he, he would or that he should. Um, so unless it's going to be good, I'm not really interested. Um, or, or, or secondly, just, just a rule that it doesn't matter if our hearts are in it or not. It's just what we do. Um, and, and, and walking with God, Christian faith for some can become that kind of mechanical, slightly reluctant obedience. Why, why am I going this morning? I don't know, it's just, it's what we do. It's, it's what we should do. People will notice if I'm not there, so I ought to. Um, now, we want to have a good time. But the main focus, the main purpose for this journey is, is also in, in verse 4. Uh, admiring Jerusalem, he says, that is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord. That has always been God's ultimate purpose. That has always been God's ultimate reason for doing anything on planet earth is that his name might be glorified. And in so many of the songs that we've been singing today, actually it's, it's been there. The name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. We might be considering the power that's in his uh, name. But one way or another, we're, we're considering the glory that is right for, for him. God has always wanted a people who will be declaring just how good he is. So when God spoke to Moses and said, I've heard my people's cry in Egypt. I'm sending you because I want to rescue them. I'm going to stretch out my arm and deliver them from the oppression of Pharaoh. I've been reading through uh, Exodus um, recently in my own time in the words and uh, kind of speeding through really kind of big chunks at a time and time and time again it's it's god says to moses say to pharaoh let my people go so that they may worship me let my people go and i sometimes read that and i thought is that just like diplomatic speak no it's all about the people. It's all about them getting rescued. It's all about them becoming free. It's all about... I think, well... Was it just kind of coming up with a reason? It's like the stated diplomatic reason, but it's not really the reason. No, actually, right the way through Exodus, time and time again, why is this to happen? What's it all about? Ultimately, it's about God being worshipped and glorified by people who just go, Wow! Look at what he's done for us. And so when Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he is, uh, he's waxing lyrical on the, on the wonders of the good news of the gospel, he can't but help just bring this strong note of praise. It's where the whole letter begins. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, he says, 
Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you were reading that in the ESV or another translation, it might say, it might say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. And, and that's, that's how it works. And, and right the way through that first chapter, we, we're reading of the amazing blessings that have come our way in Jesus. Why? What's the point? Why has God chosen to bless us? Why has God chosen to save people? Why has God chosen to take people out of darkness and bring them into light? Why has God chosen to forgive? Why has God chosen to send his own son to be crucified as a sacrifice for, for our benefit that we might know him? Well, time and time again, we get it. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 14. Uh, that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Why, why did God rescue uh, the Israelites um, in the Exodus? Why did God send Jesus? Why did Jesus die? Why... Is God doing anything on this planet at all for his glory, for his name? And that's why in 1646, when a whole bunch of theologians got together and compiled what is known as the Westminster Catechism, tricky one to write down in your notes, um, this big statement of faith, it was done in a, in a question and answer style. And so the first question in the Westminster Catechism is what is the chief end of man? That's old fashioned language, really. Um, what's the main purpose? What's the main point? What's, what's the end goal? What's the big picture? What's the whole deal? What's it all about? What's the very purpose of our lives? And the answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. God wants a people who are declaring and demonstrating just how amazing he is. So walking with God, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of God? This is what, is, what David is caught up with. He's caught up with the goal of his glory. The goal of God being glorified. His name being honoured. And if we, as we read through that, that, uh, the Westminster Catechism, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, clearly feelings are involved. Nevertheless, it, it doesn't always mean that I'm going to be enjoying myself. <laughs> the idea is that I'm enjoying God, uh, forever. So the, the goal is not focused on my Feelings. We might go, wow, look at what God has done. Wow, look at the freedom he's brought me into. Wow, look at what's changed in my life. Wow, I've kind of tasted and seen just how good his grace is. So what? He's worthy of praise. And our feelings can vary, can't they? So much. We have it here. David saying, I rejoiced with those who said to me, just the very idea of going up to the house of the Lord thrilled me so much that I rejoiced. I can remember uh, when I was 15, uh, I had gone to uh, the Stonely Bible uh, Week. A uh, few thousand Christians gathering together 
And I'd never been to anything like it uh, before. That number of Christians... Well, actually, that's not true. I had been to Spring Harvest. No disrespect to Spring Harvest. But uh, it was around the age of 15 that I, I went to um, Stonely for the first time as part of the, the group that I suppose is now the equivalent of New Day for those who are going later on in the summer uh, to New Day. And, and whilst I'd given... I, I had uh, responded to the gospel before the age of 15. Uh, but I don't think, in a way that the Bible describes, I'd received the Spirit. Um, and so when the gospel was preached again, I was absolutely bowled over with the grace of God. It was, it was as like I'd never heard anything about God before. I was blown away to understand the extent of God's love for me, for all of us, by virtue of what Jesus had done. And it changed my life. And I came back and I, I, went to, uh, I went to the church that I attended at that time in the normal way. And in the normal way, kind of, we all kind of gather in, we kind of saunter in at different times, um, have a few chats. And uh, in the normal way, the band are still just playing a little bit because they're practicing. I was so bold, so bold over um, with just how amazing God's grace is. The band are practicing And there's this little ginger kid at the back of the hall going, I just want to worship Jesus. It's like, wow, it's amazing. Like, tuning up, but I want to worship him. That's what an understanding of God's grace does. We get excited. But other times, and I think David would have experienced this as well, there are times when he's just rejoicing. It explodes out of him. There are other times when he needs to take himself in hand. And we get that in the Psalms because we see in Psalm 103, uh, for example, he's kind of actually talking to himself. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He's talking to himself. He's taking himself in hand. It wasn't just this explosion of emotion the moment he stepped in the building that day. It was, I need to just remind myself. I need to preach to myself, really. I need to talk to myself about how good God is. And though David didn't ra- read, um, uh, didn't write how, uh, Psalm 42, that kind of is in another place where the psalmist is asking themselves, why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him. And sometimes we come, and, and that's the general note, if you like. And again, we don't want to be victims of our of our feelings, but not disregard them either. Sometimes we just need to take ourselves in hand, remind ourselves, what is this all about? Oh yes, it's about him. It's about him being glorified. It's about him being honoured. I could be on a real high point right now. Or oh, actually there are some, I, I'm even puzzled by myself. Why are you so downcast? But I'm going to work. I'm, I will yet praise him. I will put my hope in him. Sometimes though, joy can be absent because we've drifted away from grace. And that's what happened uh, to the Galatians, really. They responded to the gospel. And now then Paul is writing them a letter. They kind of say, look, what's happened? Even at one point in, in chapter 4 and verse 15, he says, what's happened to your joy? Where's it gone? You... There was this explosion of joy because you received God's grace. You understood it. 
Where's this joy gone? If you're reading in a more recent version of the NIV, it might say something like, uh, this, uh, your sense of blessing or your blessedness. It's really talking about the same thing. When you are aware of how much God has blessed you, joy is the result. So the focus is on the amazing blessed position that God brings us into in the gospel. And if, if there's no joy, think, well, have you forgotten the blessing that God's given? And so Paul writes to them to kind of wake them up. Perhaps they've just drifted back. Not to, it's all about me having a good time. They've drifted off to, well, we just have to. Why worship God? Well, there's, there's just ways of doing things. You've got to follow certain rules and regulations. And, oh, it all become very dry. Paul's got to say, look, where's, where's your joy gone? So David is caught up in the purposes of God. I need to speed up if we're to get through the rest. Um, secondly, David is caught up with just the, the wonder and the privilege of the presence of God. You might ask this question. What, what was so special about Jerusalem anyway? Was it the walls, the architecture, the fact that this city is closely compacted together? It's very interesting. Again, uh, it might, other translations might use a slightly different phrase about being kind of bound firmly together. Is he just admiring bricks and mortar? Is he just impressed with this particular city? But you could go to Venice, or you could go to Sydney, or you could go to Beijing, or you can go to Sao Paulo, and you can see other kind of... Uh, incredible, uh, dramatic cities. What's so special? David is thrilled about the prospect of going up to Jerusalem because it is the dwelling place of God. So right in verse 1, the people had said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And in verse 9, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God. This is where God dwells. This is what makes Jerusalem unique. God doesn't dwell anywhere else in the same way those pilgrims would have thought. Well, why was that? Well, going back to Deuteronomy, they could have reminded themselves again in chapter 12 and verse... Well, I'll read from verse 2. God's instructions were... Uh, destroy completely all the places on the high mountains and on the hills and, uh, and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. So they moved into the land. Lots of different people groups, loads of different gods, and loads of different places, and loads of different ways to worship loads of different gods. God says to his people, you're not to be like that. You're to get rid of all of those Idols, ashrapoles, altar places, higher places. Because there aren't many gods. There's one. And that's me, 
says the Lord. And I've made my name known to you. So rather than worshipping me in a whole variety of places, in a whole variety of ways, you're to find out the one place to come and worship the one God. And this excited David. He conquered, he overcame um, a Jebusite city, Jerusalem, and he made it his. And then with great excitement, he went and found the Ark of the Covenant. This is where God dwelt in a box about that wide, roughly speaking, about that high, and about that deep. Ornately decorated. On the inside were the stone tablets uh, where, where Moses had written the law, a bit jar of manna as well. But this was, to the people, the presence of God. And the presence of God in the ark has been at some bloke's house called Obed-Edom. Um, and for three months, Obed-Edom and his family get tremendously blessed. And so David thinks again, yes, we're going, I'm going to go and get the ark of the Lord and do it properly this time. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 6. Brings it to Jerusalem with amazing uh, worship dancing with all of his might. Why is he so happy? He's just overjoyed at the prospect of God's presence being in uh, Jerusalem. Later on, his son, Solomon, would oversee the temple being built. So interestingly, when this psalm was written, the temple didn't exist yet, but the temple would be built. And then in 1 Kings chapter 8, you can read about what happened when the Ark of the Lord was brought into the most holy place in the temple. Nobody needed to say, I think God's here. Because it was apparent immediately. This cloud of glory came and filled the temple. And all the priests were kind of just on the floor. Unable to do their service, as it were. Because just aware of the presence the presence of God. So no wonder they have this huge affection for the city. There, uh, David, these pilgrims that are singing this song, are passionate about Jerusalem. Well, what does that mean for us, walking with God? Um, and for some, actually, this, this whole psalm becomes a reason. It's all about Jerusalem, everyone. You, you, you know, pray for Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem. Um, now, by all means, pray for Jerusalem. Uh, go to Jerusalem if you like. But you're not going to be closer to God necessarily as a result. Pray for Jerusalem because it needs God. And so does Beijing, and so does Beirut, and so does Cairo, and so does Paris, and so does London, so does Sheffield. We want to pray for the world that desperately needs God. But Jesus spoke to a lady um, outside Jerusalem in John chapter 4 and spoke to her about worship. She said to him in John 4 verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. There's the decree, there's the statute that they had. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. It's all now actually about Jesus. And I think Jesus had huge affection for the city of Jerusalem. And when he, when he drew near to Jerusalem, there was affection, but there was also pain in what he said. In Luke chapter 19, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So all the people have this mandate three times a year to gather to Jerusalem. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and saying, actually, I want to gather you to me. But they, but they, at that time, they didn't. That's where peace comes from. That's where hope comes from. That's where joy comes from, is from gathering to Jesus, drawing near to him. He is the one place. He is the one way. He reveals to us the one God. So passionate for him, passionate about his presence because he's alive he's amongst us he's active and he's not just in one location he's not just in one box it's not just about the meeting this isn't the house of the lord the bricks and mortar that surround us now aren't the special place and sometimes people can jump to that conclusion they say well uh the new testament equivalent to jerusalem is the church well in some ways yes but we need to be careful how we get there otherwise we still just live in the shadows again we're still living in a very uh, legalistic framework actually no it's it's about jesus and where he has chosen to dwell and he's chosen to dwell in a people it's no longer in a box in the holy place in the temple in a city. It's in people who know him. I think David had a sense of being excited as well about the people of God. He was passionate about the people of God. I rejoiced with those who said to me. This sense of just being together and in community. Some people said, let's go. He was like, he was with them straight away. This isn't just a personal passion. He's with people. Let us Go to the house of the Lord. And then he reflects then, this is where the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord. He's, he's excited. What excites him is we're in this together as one big people going up to the place that he's chosen that we might worship them. All these tribes, these 12 tribes with, with their different history. These, diff, these 12 brothers who became uh, 12 tribes, 12 clans. Maybe with their own personalities. Uh, their own characteristics, uh, their own land. They kind of live in different areas. Um, but together, coming up to Jerusalem to worship God. There's variety, but they're together. They're united. I think David is excited about that. And it's, it's good to be excited about the people of God. 
about the church. Walking with God means we're passionate about glorifying his name. We're passionate about Jesus and all that God has done through him. And as a result, there is a passion for the church. Not a building that we go to or a service that we attend. I sometimes feel pedantic as if it feel a little bit like splitting hairs. But actually, it's really important to remember that City Church Sheffield, or any church, is not a place. You never go to City Church Sheffield. Um, we never attend City Church Sheffield. And the Jubilee Centre is not City Church Sheffield. And the Jubilee Centre is a great blessing, but it's not significant. It's not what we're excited about. Um, we're excited about God's plan for a people. And we get this again in Ephesians, where Paul writes um, to them chapter 2, verse 21, really rising to a bit of a crescendo in the book so far. Um, in speaking of Christ, he says, in him, the whole building is joined together. And he's not talking about a physical building. He's talking about that as a metaphor. The people of God like a building. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God is delighted now by his spirit to dwell in and amongst his church. So we're passionate about the church because we're passionate about what the spirit is doing on the earth in the here and now. The church are people who worship by the Spirit. The church are people who are growing in the fruits of the Spirit, who are a holy nation, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. But therefore, as we're walking with God, we're growing in holiness. Um, the church are people who are uh, given gifts, uh, manifestations of the Spirit. The, the work of the Spirit becomes evident in a whole variety of different ways. Um, some, uh, like the gift of tongues and interpretation that we had this morning. Gifts of faith, gifts of mercy, gifts of healing, gifts of teaching. That Even teaching itself um, it can be a demonstration of the Spirit's power at work. Um, Paul also writes about the remarkable unity of the Spirit. There's a sense amongst the people of God of a unity that you just don't get anywhere else that the church is a people who are empowered by the spirit to witness to the world around and a people who are continually being filled with the holy spirit so we might think well is is david worshiping jerusalem no he's worshiping god but he's really keen about what god's doing in jerusalem and sometimes in the past there have been songs that have been about the church and we go does that mean we're worshiping the church no it means we're worshipping God and we're passionate about what God is doing in the church. David says, oh, Jerusalem. He's singing about it. And it's, it's okay for us to sing about as well. There could be a re- number of reasons why we don't feel entirely comfortable with that. We might say, in regard to the church, yeah, God's up to something, but I can see its problems Well, so did David when he looked at 
Jerusalem is full of affection. You can see the purposes of God. He's delighting in the presence of God and, and rejoicing with the people of God. And then he says, well, we'll pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You can see, actually, as we get closer, as we kind of arrive, everything's not as it should be. I think we need to pray. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May, they be, may there be peace within your walls. And I guess there wasn't always. And when Jesus ar- arrived and he said, if only you'd known what would make for peace. But it's hidden from your sight. Oh, Jerusalem. He wept. If only you'd known. If only you'd understood. And so, with the church, we, it will have its own ups and downs. It's, its own imperfections. It's like that um, optical illusion. I could have shown you a picture, but you can, as Tom said earlier on, Google it yourself. Um, that optical illusion of a picture of, of an old woman and a young woman in one. And if you look at it in one way, she looks like an old lady kind of facing you with a, with a rather large nose and a rather large chin. But then if you look at exactly the same picture, what looked like a really big nose is actually the, the slender jawline of a beautiful young woman who's kind of slightly turning the other way. And you can, you can kind of see it both ways. And maybe when you look at the picture to start with, all you can see is the older lady. Maybe someone else. All they can see is the younger lady. But the picture's been arranged as such that actually you, you can see both. And sometimes, church, well, often churches like that. We kind of look in the scripture, we see God's purposes, and we go, wow, she's awesome. She's beautiful. She's what, look at the purposes of God. Look at how much God loves her. Look at what God's going to do. And ultimately, this big vision that's leading to glory. Wow. And you take another look and you go, oh. And, and, and then some, you can catch, see, well, everything's not quite sorted yet. Or there's a few wrinkles that I didn't spot earlier. Or there's a few imperfections, a few blemishes. But Jesus is doing something for his church. We will be without blemish will be without wrinkle in glory. We don't have to pretend that there are no imperfections in church life. We can still be passionate about what God is passionate about. Others might think, well, yeah, the church is great. I'm sure it helps us to worship God and to know him better. But sometimes it just feels like a bit of a waste of time. Um, And sometimes perhaps we might feel that about worship itself. Life is so busy. Personally, am I going to set aside time to worship God? I can see the benefit of study and prayer, but just to stand before God and worship him, I'm not quite sure. There's loads of things I need to do right now. I'm going to move on. And sometimes people can think about that in regard to the church. I'm I'm really passionate about the purposes of God. I'm really passionate about the presence of God. I'm really passionate to, to go and pioneer, go and do something amazing for God. Why do I have to kind of be part of a church? It's just going to hold me back. And maybe David felt like this. Maybe God's people felt like this. Three times a year, we've got to go up to Jerusalem. But really where it's at is going to conquer and going, going on adventures and, 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 and going to win more battles and going to extend our borders and, uh, and, and see God's purposes extend. Oh, but we've got to go up to Jerusalem. Okay. But imagine a bow and arrow. If you have an arrow... And let's say the target is over there. You want the arrow to hit the target. The, the purpose of the arrow 
is to be fired and hit that target, whatever that target is. Whatever vision or goal or desire or godly ambition that target might represent. But what happens to the arrow is the arrow needs a bow. And which way do you draw the arrow? You want the arrow to go that way. But first of all, you pull the arrow back. And the more you pull it back, the more tension there is in that string, the more power it has with which to fly and accurately hit its target. And sometimes people are are, are keen to worship God. They're excited about God's purposes. And they love the presence of God, but they keep themselves on the edge when it comes to church life, which is like an arrow that never really gets pulled back. And what happens when you release the arrow like that? God wants arrows pulled right back, invested in his people. And that might mean for some, an arrow gets released and it flies. That might mean geographically, right, you are off, go! And uh, we're kind of celebrating, acknowledging this week uh, how, how God has really answered our prayers on Dave and Rabina's behalf. Um, because for so long they have been tucked in, invested in City Church Sheffield, but a time comes when God wants to release them and send them to Vancouver. That's a long way. But you think about Dave and Rabina and you think, well, how much has the arrow been pulled back? They've, they've been so a part of us. They're so with us on the journey. Now they're getting released or soon they're going to be released. And I believe, well, they're going to go with, with some velocity. They're going to hit the target because they've been so invested in God's purposes in a local church here. Now, it might not always be like that, but kind of consider for you young guys and girls, maybe you're kind of fusion age, um, and you, maybe you're aware, your parents are aware, uh, the time will come when you start applying for university places, or you start applying for jobs, and you're thinking about going, think, we would love you to just be here forever, not just your parents, you're fantastic to have with us, to be in a prayer meeting and just to see loads of young people turning up on a Friday night to pray. It's just a great privilege. And, and sometimes in leading a church, the, tent, the desire can be we just want to keep hold of everybody. Nobody go anywhere. Nobody move. Nobody get any vision or passion for anything else. You're, you can only stay in Sheffield and be part of what God's doing here. Well, maybe that's the case for some of you. But we know, actually, what's supposed to happen is this arrow is supposed to be drawn back in a bow and at the right time, to the right, in the right direction, in the right way, you're going to get released. What's going to help you, what's going to bless you, and what's going to glorify God is if you don't hold yourself right at the edge of church life. Well, I'm soon going to be moving on. Obviously, it's going to apply to others. I'm sure God's got some other stuff for me. No, pull yourself right back in. Get thoroughly involved, and then you're going to be released. And when you get to wherever you're going, be it Vancouver or be it Norwich, um, when you get there, tuck yourself in with the local church. It doesn't take six months to find one. It doesn't take an age to find one. You can decide. You can do some research. That can even be a factor in where you choose to go. What's the church like? Am I going to be able to get stuck into a church? We need to worship the Lord. But anyway, I'm warming to my theme. So before we round off, we, we are passionate about what God wants to do, about him being glorified, about his presence amongst 
us. Wherever we are, when we gather like this, and when we go as well, believing actually God is here, God is with us. And that also means that there's a passion for being part of the people of God. David was not apologetic about singing about Jerusalem because he saw what God was doing. Actually, we are passionate about something. We do believe something. We can see all the imperfections in, in our own church or perhaps in others. But nevertheless, God is doing something beautiful and we want to be a part of it for his glory. Amen. Amen. Right, we will worship quickly. <laughs> We will worship again. (laughs) Why don't we stand together? And uh, let's glorify God, shall we?